Hello, and welcome to Digital Marketing Musings, hosted by Merkel. Each episode, we choose a different expert to share the latest and greatest in digital marketing trends. Today, we're interviewing Sergio Barrientos and Mike Liu about Metaverse and Web3. All right, let's get to it. I'm Gaia Reed, And I'm Andrea McCartney. And this is Digital Marketing Musings. Welcome back to Digital Marketing Musings Season 2. Today, we're joined by Sergio and Mike to talk about the metaverse and Web3. Sergio Barrientos is the SVP of Cultural Fluency at Densu. Uh, so he sits at a fusion between multicultural marketing and applied insights for brand strategies and incorporating new trends into this world. Michael Liu is the head of innovation for Densu, focused on many of the Kara clients currently. His role is helping brands anticipate and plan for their future consumers, including topics around Metaverse and Web3. Sergio, Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Really happy to be here. Super excited to talk to you. Yes. Um, so this episode continues our gaming series, and today we're touching on some pretty hefty topics that we've purposefully kind of sectioned off of our initial gaming episodes, um, those being discussions around Web3 and the metaverse. Um, we're actually going to have two episodes on this topic. So the first is going to be more around what they are, and the second is more around what brands should be thinking about in this space. So starting really high level, uh, what is Web3? And could you define and describe it maybe in relation to Web1 and 2? Sure, I can, I can jump in. We usually say that we, we know that when the web and the internet started uh, and the web came along, it was a place for people to access information, right? Read content, consume uh, content. And uh, there were publishers creating that content and actually making the money. So users read and publishers make the money, right? So then Web2 came along and platforms emerged to connect people and allowing them to publish themselves. Think social media like LinkedIn, WordPress, uh, Medium, Facebook. And then, and also the mobile device came along and started consuming uh, content all over the place on the go. And uh, it gives you a, basically a, a different perspective where the users create now, but these networks or platforms started making the money. Web3 is where it's a place the promise of the place is to create the users create, control, and make money directly from their followers or uh, or as a community. So that's uh, in a nutshell how how we see the evolution of the web. Yeah, and I'll chime in here too because just like Web three is um, you know this topic that's sort of this over encompassing term for a lot of things such as metaverse and NFTs and things like that. And you ask a bunch of different types of people on their definition of Web3 or even metaverse, um, they'll be quite different, right? And I don't think we have like a, a full standard of what these are, but I think what Sergio's getting to um, and lays out quite eloquently is just the history of where we've come from. And if you think about the ownership piece that he talks about, right? You know, Web3 is about reading and writing and owning. The reason why we have the own and why it's so paramount today is that we've been spending so much of our time in these digital spaces. And so as we start to do that, you can easily see the, the, the evolution and the progression to wanting to own digital goods. And to do that, you have to have an internet and you have to have a platform and, and a system and an ecosystem set up 
to allow for ownership, especially in something like the digital realm, where the digital realm is quite, you know, has so much surplus, I should say, like, it's just so big, you can just create things in the digital realm quite easily. So if you want to own something and make it valuable and scarce, how do you do that? And I think that's where blockchain, this technology um, that we talk about as being the underpinning of Web3 is because blockchain inherently will make things scarce in the digital realm. Um, just the way that it's being mined and how it's being validated and things like that. Web3 is sort of like this over-encompassing term that might seem very broad and, and, and very you know, nebulous, but in, in, in a sense, it's more so this new internet where we'll be able to own digital assets and own our data and own our identities and it's been in, on a place and built in, uh, off the backbone of like blockchain technology. So I don't know if that's like too deep or, or, or too technical, but um, I think that's sort of where our heads are at. And it's our job pretty much to try to distill this down for our brands and our clients um, to eventually be able to communicate better with, with consumers who are entering the space as well. And as a follow-up before we get into our, our other questions, one thing that you hear a lot in this space is like, well, we don't know exactly like, you know, like you were talking about, Mike, the definitions from person to person are going to vary kind of because like a lot of it doesn't exist yet. And so we're hypothesizing exactly what it's going to look like between these different different terms or aspects of Web3 and the metaverse NFTs, like blockchain exists, NFTs exist, does Web3 exist? Does the metaverse exist? Like which pieces of it exist today and don't exist just to set the context for the rest of the conversation? Oh my God, loaded question. Um, <laughs> I think they all exist, right? It's just in different forms. And the key word that you could, you should have you picked up on um, as Sergio was explaining Web3 is like, the promise and the goal and the vision of Web3 is about ownership. And it's about all these different things of a decentralized system, a decentralized economy um, based off of trustless, permissionless things like the blockchain. So in essence, and they all intertwine. However, separately, blockchains do exist, right? We, we see mm -hmm. blockchains and you see the currency that comes off the back of it. You see applications come off of Ethereum and smart, smart contracts, um, if you look at NFTs, NFTs are enabled by blockchain technology. And then Web3 exists, again, when you think about ownership, and if, if that's your definition of what Web3, and that's sort of how I see it, and I believe Sergio sees it as well. And similarly, you know, our network has our own perspective on it. Um, it's quite aligned that ownership is a big piece of Web3. Digital ownership currently has to exist in a decentralized way on a blockchain. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this that might have argument about it. Would love to chat through it. Um, I think it's just <laughs> something that we're always learning and always kind of seeing different perspectives. It's so new that um, the way that we're thinking about it today will, will, could be quite different by the time that this podcast releases. And, and that's the exciting <laughs> part about it, but also the scary part of, of you know, us being in this space and advising brands and large brands on how to experiment and how to get into this space because you know, nobody is a quote unquote guru or an expert yet, right? Like these things are changing. How are regulations going to change, you know, this whole ecosystem and landscape, right? So if, an e if, a, if a regulation comes on, it's hard, you know, Biden just released a statement about regulation on cryptocurrencies. So what happens when that's also done on blockchains across the world? So that will shift and, 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 and shift our ways of how we think about it and approach it. But I think, you know, Sergio and I's role within the network, as well as many others, 
um, in this space are, are just sort of making sure that we're keeping tabs on it, on the evolution of it, on the adoption of it, the way that consumers are interacting with it. Um, but to, to answer your, your point, your question in a very long-winded way, yes, they all exist. They're all real. Um, it's just at what stage are we in right now? We're definitely not at the promise of an interoperable metaverse, right? That we're many, 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 many years away from that. But are we seeing little pockets of, of, of glimmers of hope of seeing what this could look like? Definitely yes, right? And so um, I, I think that's just like an, an interesting position to be in right now for us to uh, be talking about it in, in this way. And just to chime in there, I think the key word is decentralization. That's the biggest uh, movement, if you will, of what's going on. Because as, as, as I was saying, first the publishers, then the platforms, now it's decentralized. Basically, it's, a, it's, it's control over data and monetizations to everywhere, anywhere, and allows a, a direct relationship to transact, uh, cutting intermediaries uh, out of the equation, you know, like uh, providing a, a lot of freedom to trade and transact, but also brings a lot of safety problems and risk. And that's when uh, the decentralization brings uh, the regulation as well. So if regulations are coming, what are they? And we don't know yet. And that some governments are starting to, to chime in, but uh, big topic uh, to come. That sounds like a future podcast episode. <laughs> um, so as we've been talking here, it's kind of making me wonder, what are some of the potential changes that should be taking place in how companies are structuring their business models as they approach Web3? I know we've talked a lot from the individual user standpoint and kind of touched on what this could mean for, for businesses, but curious to get your take on that. I would say that there's uh, there's no playbook yet, and uh, <laughs> and the, the the game plans that you've been using it won't work. It's not the same. Right. Uh, it's not a new touch point only for 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 you the brands and consumers. It's a, a whole new way of thinking. We're approaching things because of the ownership, community, and identity at play. Uh, brands brand roles, the uh, role of a brand basically conceptually changes how they they communicate or maybe they don't they won't communicate anymore they have to interact they have to participate they right. have to do things and lose a little bit of control in order to to be relevant to these new owners and maybe I'm sure it's a scary thought for many brand managers like oh god no, I'm losing the control aspect losing the control but it depends how you do it because you can provide mm -hmm. uh, playgrounds for them to play like Nike is doing or or things like um, in loyalty programs where you can unlock things in real life by doing things in the on the metaverse and vice versa can you go into detail about what Nike is doing I'm not sure I'm familiar with with that Nike uh, bought some land in the central land one of these metaverse virtual worlds if you will and in on that uh, playground they built up they built a playground on that land in the virtual land so when user, consumers go to the, with their avatars into the virtual world, they can wear Nike gear that actually they bought another company called Artifact that, that they used to create and, and trade uh, in, the meta, in the NFTs for uh, sneakers, virtual sneakers. And now you can wear them and play games and do things with this gear in this place. So they basically okay. create a brand world in the metaverse. Their own brand world with okay. the clothing, with the gear, with the sneakers and the products, and you can trade. You can basically 
live this world and socialize with others that are in that world. Yeah, there's, it's an interesting thing. Like there's, there's categories because you talk about how, do, how should brands account for Web3 or blockchain in, in general, right? And these new technologies. You know, I don't, I don't know if there's any huge, huge examples of massive Fortune 100 companies that are shifting their entire business model right now. But tonight, to the Nike point that Sergio is saying, that's, that's such an easy switch on for them, right? There's, they sell apparel mm-hmm. in the real world. How do you sell apparel in the virtual world where especially a lot yeah. of kids, um, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, yeah. like whatever we want to call them, are buying a lot of virtual skins, goods for games, social um, social platforms, things like that. So, you know, the margin is ridiculous, right? You, you build it, you build it, you develop it, boom, you sell it a gazillion times. You don't have to worry about sourcing, fabrication, putting it together, shipping it to a different country, and then like landing it here and then having retail shopping. It's just you put it, you build it on in a digital engine or game engine, uh, perhaps design it and then and put it out there for people to 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 have. And so that is a really interesting experiment that they're that they're having, but they put their money behind it by by acquiring a company like Artifact, as Sergio was saying. So that is mm-hmm. a, a fantastic example of a brand kind of experimenting with a new business or revenue model, but not necessarily a different business, right? It's the same business, right? It's just a different avenue of, of providing that business. Um, Adidas did something quite quite similar where they didn't buy a company or they're not creating a new good uh, like a digital clothing, but they created NFTs in collaboration with a few crypto um, influencers and, 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 and groups that are very popular in the space. But they they launched it and, and made around twenty three million dollars estimated twenty three million dollars in a day uh, with this NFT project. Damn. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guarantee you that I'll, I'll catch, I'll catch the, <laughs> the ears of a lot of apparel and retail clients that we have. Um, but then, you know, what we're trying to figure. I just got off a call with Legal uh, earlier today, and they were just like, "Well, how do you set that up in terms of? Is, are you issuing a security? Because if it sells on the secondary market, are they taking royalties off the back end? Because that's the benefit of a smart contract, essentially, right? You develop an NFT, and it, the NFT is just kind of the vessel, right? It could be uh, a piece of art, it could be uh, wearable, something like that. But it's a smart contract that you can bro- program. So if you want to say, we as Adidas or said uh, retailer or apparel company. Um, once five percent, ten percent of every secondary sale on the on the on the market, then that's more income coming in on on an ongoing basis if, if people are swapping them back and forth. And so there are many companies that are Web three native who are propping themselves up just off of the secondary market. Same thing as Artifact. Artifact was that company that was doing their selling NFTs, but making so much money off the swapping and secondary sales. That's why Nike's like made such a smart move to acquire them. Um, because of that, right, mm-hmm. and 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 for them to actually have um, Web three native brand name in that space, it just made a lot of sense for them to partner up. So, um, you know, as Sergio was saying, there there's no playbook yet. Um, it's all experimentation. We have no idea where this is going to go. NFTs wasn't in, in people's lexicon up into over over two years ago, right? At least in the masses. Yeah. And so we'll start to see how this evolves in the space, but. Um, it's exciting to at least experiment and it's exciting at least to observe and ideate what a blockchain-based decentralized and or new revenue business model could emerge from this. Like we see this in the music industry too. Um, I, I don't know if you've heard of a company called Royal, um, but Royal is trying to look at um, you know disrupting the music industry in general by paying artists 
um, through NFTs or not. So artists getting paid through selling of NFTs. And so I was able to purchase one yesterday. Um, and it just so, so happened that I was, I was lucky enough to be able to make the line, but I now own 0.007% of a Diplo song, right? And what that means <laughs> is that and it's, it's, not, it's the streaming royalties of a Diplo song, I should say, right? But essentially now, mm-hmm. every time somebody streams that song, I can expect some sort of percent, like a tiny, tiny bit of that percent. But, you know, if I added up, you know, what that cost would be, I think he, he netted around of that NFT sale, it was like around $400,000, right? Um, but he gets that up front. And at the same time, he wins. Fans of his win because now they're like, I own a, a percentage of his, of his song and royalties in perpetuity. And so it's just like the fans win because they, they get a piece of it. And, and then the artist wins of that because now you sort of remove the need of, of labels and, 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 and this infrastructure that's already put in place that artists are already not making a, a big deal of the money. That's why they have to go on tour. And that's why they have to, they have to sell so much merch is because right. they're not making money off the actual, you know, publishing or, or whatever the songs and the spins. So um, right. these new models are being made to address that. And that's, what's exciting to see that type of change and to see if that will work. Can I stop you right there and go back a little bit to do some definitions? Because I'm think I, I just heard smart contracts, NFTs, metaverse, things that we didn't define yet. I mean, that would be that would be <laughs> great yeah, if you want to do a, a uh, quick uh, I can go very fast, refresher. very fast. Metaverse. Metaverse is the password you can escape from now, right? So what is it? It's a concept of the next generation of internet where all the things come together, what we were talking about is basically the future of digital media and commerce all together. And uh, Mm -hmm. so it's a new version where you can have virtual worlds, but you can have augmented worlds in the real world as well. So it's how all those things merge, but it's all based in this ownership of digital assets, the trading of that, the identity you play in. You can be an avatar in a virtual world. You can be yourself in the digital world, but have some lenses or things attached to you with somebody see see you with some glasses or or from a phone so you, you can have all that part so that's a metaverse then all these digital objects usually are traded by something called an nft a non-fungible token non-fungible means that the value is given by society basically and i'd like to think i, I love the example i heard in an event once that says that nft is like the the Carfax. When you go to buy a car and you have this report of everything that went and happened to that car every time they repair it, oil service, oil change, service, uh, crash, whatever happened to the car is registered in a ledger. That's what an NFT is, and it's a title, a property title, at the same time, and it has rules. Those rules is, are dictated by a smart contract, so that those rules ca- uh, can be that every single dollar that goes for training that asset goes to X person, royalties, for example. And it can be a lot of more things that we are just scratching the surface of what's possible. You can attach an NFT to a property in real life. Your house title can be an NFT if you want. So those are the NFTs. Those are, this is the metaverse. Those are the NFTs. And everything runs in a technological blockchain, which is a distributed uh, a system of validation of transactions, if you will, that runs every single transaction is split by thousands and thousands of computers 
and it's each transaction is unique. So the NFT can prove uniqueness, like this is uh, the original piece. So that's why when you see all this art going to the the, the, the blockchain and the NFTs of uh, I don't know Mona Lisa, you can have an NFT of a Mona Lisa, but the original Mona Lisa is just one. All the rest are different. Like for example, Jack Dorsey uh, minted his first tweet. The founder of Twitter said, this is the first tweet that ever existed. I did it. I tweeted. And this is an NFT. And he sold it for $3.2 million, something like that. So wow. you start thinking, why somebody buy it? Well, why you would buy the Constitution? A co- one of the 13 copies of the original Constitution, for example. That's, right. that's uh, the value of things that in history will increase. Makes sense. Yeah, I... I think with that, like that kind of leads us, maybe we should go into Sergio, like why NFTs, there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of, um, you know, when I went home for the holidays the past couple of years, every time my parents are like, can you explain this to me? Like, why would I care? And, you know, like, why are people paying thousands or tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars for these, these digital assets? if they don't even hasn't have any intrinsic value. And, you know, the answer to that is, is primarily like value, value is subjective regardless, right? You know, if you were to buy a shirt that's manufactured by the same factory um, from one brand, but you slap a high luxury logo on it and it's the same brand or it's a different brand, but the same shirt, I guarantee you that that luxury brand will still garner a lot more um, value than the person who values it at, you know, maybe a thousand dollar shirt, whatever that is. It's the same concept here. You know, when you have collectors who are creating, who are collecting baseball cards, basketball cards, Pokemon cards, whatever that is, the intrinsic value is actually the piece of cardboard that was printed on. It might be a, a cent or two, right? But the value that's put on top of it is the story on top of it, the value that the memorabilia on top of it. And so, you know, why somebody would pay for the first tweet is because that is that is a digital historical marker of this is something that changed the world. And so I want to own that piece. And it was actually created and minted by the owner and founder of Twitter. So there's validation to it. And so no matter if, a, if there's a million other versions of this NFT out there, everybody knows that those are fake and this is real because the blockchain says it's real. And the blockchain is mm-hmm. a distributed ledger that nobody can ever change. So it's immutable that will say this is the real one. So as any collector will say, it's like how values in the eye of their beholder and the same thing is 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 akin to to nfts and so that's like the easiest way that i've been able to explain it or that i've read online as well or spoken to people of talking about value being subjective and kind of comparing it to other collector mindsets of putting a, a dollar figure on something else that they might not be able to understand i had an art teacher once who was like showing us different pieces of art and they're they're not like famous ones but they're like how would you price this like what is the price of this piece of art and people are just throwing out different prices and ultimately the answer they're going for is like it's worth as much as someone's going to pay for it like exactly. at the end of the day that's it exactly <laughs> and it feels like we're we're talking about this intersection of tech art and like history almost all wrapped up into one and it's just like well, it's the value of whatever someone's going to pay. Yeah. I mean, the, the tech is just the enabler of pointing to something of authenticity and scarcity, right? The same principle mm-hmm. applies to the art, right? You could doodle on a piece of paper, but 
how would you know if it was actually from me versus Sergio, right? Because it's on a blockchain, the right. technology is pointing to the real one. That's why it's enabling that same concept. But yeah, it, it's circular, right? I'm talking about the uh, willingness to pay. You remember a couple of years back here in Miami, you have our Basel where a banana was stitched to a wall with silver tape and that got bought <laughs> by $300,000 or something like that. So taste, <laughs> taste is uh, subjective. Very For true. sure. And so something that's been a very consistent theme, especially uh, I would say like the last six months on our show and in digital marketing in general is just all around consumer privacy. Um, I feel like this is probably getting into the smart contract conversation, but um, so in this Web3 world where information is, you know, very decentralized across this blockchain, um, as opposed to being held in like individual company servers, what exactly does this mean for the future of data privacy and, and data governance? Yeah, for me, that's uh, nobody's talking about subject that could make make or break deals and initiative into in this new world. Because if, as you decentralize, you eliminate a lot of regulations and processes that existed for a reason, right? Governance. So once that's gone, you will need some type of entity that can help to manage those data exchanges. Some type of uh, data intermediary, if you will, who could take on many forms from digital agents or fiduciaries or trusts. Maybe AI can have a role here too yeah uh, i'll i'll add to that and this is a space that is quite um murky in my eyes and maybe that's just some more research i need to be doing but given that this is on a blockchain everything is transparent everything is immutable everything is authenticated all the all the information and transaction history is out there like if i gave you my wallet address you could look at everything that i've bought Right, my my uh, my crypto wallet address. You can look at every single transaction, permissions I've given certain applications, NFTs I've purchased, NFTs that I've sold, how much money I've transferred from one wallet to another wallet. Um, you know, I would not advise you doing that, but like you can, right? And there's a lot of forensics uh, that people can do uh, to input wallet addresses and sort of see, and that's what the government does to kind of look at um, terror cells and trying to see if there's any black market stuff that's happening. Um, and to track down bad guys, but at the same time, it's anonymous, right? Until you can hook that anonymous um, string of uh, address and, and, and wallet address to somebody, everything is anonymous, right? So the data can be out there, but it's not actually linked to somebody in, until that is somehow linked to somebody. Um, a good benefit of privacy and a good benefit of data in, in this blockchain world is like there's this vision of since our wallet is our identity, right? things that I've done, things that I've purchased, that wallet is, is, is me, right? I can actually give permissions to apps. I can give permissions to publishers. I can give permissions to websites. I can give permissions to all these different things, but I can also revoke them. So if I want to say nobody can have my data or use my data, I can pull that right away. And so that's, it's a standardization across that blockchain. So that's what's interesting about this space, that if there is data being used, but I give them permission to use it, I can also take that permission away. And that's not currently being done in a, in a sophisticated way in, in the digital marketing landscape currently. Um, and, but correct me if I'm wrong, y'all are the experts, but you know, there's not one central area where a, a consumer can say, I opt out of this, 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 and that, but I can opt in into this, 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 and that. 
right? There's no, like no dashboard of, of Michael Liu's data and say, oh, well, you know that I'm this age, but I don't want you to know <laughs> that. Like there's nothing like that. And I, I know there's, there's platforms like uh, Reclaim, formerly known as Killy, that's trying to do that. They're, they're trying to get people to sign on to a blockchain-based um, permissions layer uh, that allows me to get rewarded by the data that I allow people to use, right? And so that's that's pretty cool. It's a pretty ambitious project. And, you know, I'm rooting for them because I think that's that's beneficial for the entire ecosystem. Um, I know Trade Desk has their own identity as well that they're rolling out too. But there's just nothing that's that's really adopted in that in that sense of uh, permission-based data by the consumer. And so blockchain could potentially be an avenue to solve that. There's just currently the the system is not and the technology is not sophisticated enough to be able to do that at scale because you have to have things transacted in milliseconds, right? You need to have things in, in really, really quick ways. And blockchain, because it's based off of um, validation, sometimes those 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 chains don't allow that to happen. Um, and then also you have to get everybody onto the blockchain. So there's some ways to do so, um, but it'll be some ways to go before we, we see that come to fruition. Does that make sense? No, all, it does make okay. It it do, it does make sense. And I've heard of some of those platforms um, that you're mentioning that are trying to get into that space, but it definitely feels like we're like as consumers, we're caught on our back foot today waiting for these platforms or large tech companies like Apple to roll out these changes whenever they decide that these privacy permissions should be in the hands of consumers and like only certain ones they'll roll out that version um, or we're waiting for certain regulations to go into place like CCPA and it's a very incremental approach and piecemeal across different platforms and um, governances so it's yeah. it's, it's like if Google it's a difficult space right if Google issued a, a platform was like everybody's gonna adhere to this platform and it's gonna control everybody's permissions and Facebook's a part of it it's not like that'll never happen right because <laughs> there's still a centralized right. body doing that it's almost like if the IAB did that and made all the publishers adhere to it. But still, the IAB is a centralized um, entity that can happen. That's why blockchain, a lot of theorists and a lot of visionaries will say the blockchain is the best way to do that because nobody owns the blockchain, right? So there's that. <laughs> it's just like we're trying to figure out how this, how this can work for our, for our market um, and our industry in yeah. particular, which is a very difficult thing at this point. It's a little ironic, right? Because we are talking about the centralization, but then you have this venture capitalists forming these groups with these labs launching platforms and metaverses and PFP collections and communities and things like they are decentralizing to build their own centralized way of doing things. So it's interesting. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how it's, I, I don't think we're used to, we, we don't know how to manage such a power. Because uh, that decentralization, but right now we are complaining because Facebook decides what and who can see our data. But when they give it to us, we don't know what to do with it or how to control it. <laughs> so we're in the middle, right? So that's why these data intermediaries are emerging, like Reclaim and others, where you they do it for you, but you have the control and you, you, can, you can manage it there, but they don't belong to any of the platforms. It's, a, it's an agent right. for you to, to help you navigate the permissions through any platforms on your will. Makes sense. So when we hear people talk about the metaverse, switching gears a little bit, um, 
it is definitely described as, you know, being comprised as all these virtual worlds, like you alluded to, Michael. Um, and it sounds like a lot of the existing, you know, big tech companies are creating these along some that already exist. Like um, we we read that Microsoft's creating a virtual world, um, like an extension of, of Teams, um, Facebook's announcement of their development of the metaverse in general, and, and then existing lands like Roblox. Um, so how will or could these individual worlds that all of the companies are creating separately in practice um, kind of like transition users from one to the next, um, not only in being able to like have your avatar go from one to the next, but also be able to transfer these goods um, or equity that you build from one world to the other? How, how would that kind of work in practice? The key word to answer that question is interoperability. Interoperability between those platforms, some kind of something that is lacking on Web2, right? You cannot go from Facebook to Twitter, not even the same user. Uh, this means that an integration of separate systems need to, to talk to each other and some components shall, shall be able to be transported from one world to another. Avatars, virtual assets, game, gaming collectibles, services, features, preferences. Because you're, you're, you're working in each virtual world has its own economy. But uh, the mm -hmm. blockchain and the crypto world promise is that those economies, you can trade between economies. And that's how the, all these assets should be transportable, should be, operate, should be able to operate in one world and the other one. And for in order to that to happen, we need new standards. Some type of standards that make assets portable, like cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is portable right now. I can take uh, Ethereum for here and go to the other place and use it, or maybe I need to uh, swap it to another currency that it's allowed in that world. But there's a value exchange for every single thing, and it's portable from one to the other. They talk to each other. All the rest of the things are not yet. But there are projects and there are, there are some type of uh, the guilds and, and standard collectives that are trying to put together certain attributes that can be transportable. But uh, we are far from there yet. <laughs> yeah, I'll concur. I, the, way I, the way I see it and um, the keyword interoperability is that, you know, if you got a blockchain, that's that denomination of, of, a, of a protocol, right? And... You, the way I've, I've visualized it that helps me make sense is that it's like a road that's like a figure eight or a four leaf clover or whatever that is. And on that road, you've got all these different towns and houses. And although you can have a decentralized road where they're all kind of going in between everything, those towns and houses might be centralized. So you have like Facebook, you've got Roblox, you've got Fortnite, you've got Niantics and you know whatever Microsoft, you've got whatever they have on those things. And centralization, I don't, you know, I don't think we'll we'll get away from it uh, anytime soon. So if they're building their own roads, that's fine. And within these roads, they're they're I'm sorry, if they're building their own towns or houses, like that's fine because um, at least it connects to the road that kind of leads to the next town. And so if they can communicate off that base layer of decentralization, mm -hmm. that's that's fine. Like you can have centralized. I don't think we'll get to this point of this future vision that Neil Stevenson uh, envisioned of one virtual world that rules them all. I don't, I do not think we'll get there because you need the builders to get there. And, 
unless you have somebody who's just like ultimately funded and doesn't want any profit out of it and just wants to fund people to build in this one world. Like you have to have these big corporations and VC money, as Sergio was saying, to help fund the building of these things. And how do you get benefit and how do you get that profit? And so you have some sort of centralization within some of these projects, but um, if it's built on a blockchain that might be able to speak to another blockchain, then from there you have liquidity between each of those and that's where it can become interoperable. So maybe I don't get to take my battle axe from one game, make it a battle axe somewhere else, but I might be able to liquidate it and sell it for coins that I can use those same coins to a different game. So I, I take it with me in a sense, but um, that sort of helped me visualize uh, what, what interoperability could, could be in the future. A virtual pawn shop could be a really interesting business <laughs> coming soon. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, Look at Axe, I give you this ETH, you go, you play, you come back, and let's see if you can get it back. That's funny. Business ideas, dropping ideas for everyone. I know, it's sort of like OpenSea, but lending in a sense, right? Like you're adding a lending <laughs> element to, yeah. to a marketplace. You're onto something, Sergio. Let me join your team. I'll quit right now. I think so. Well, this is feeling like a good place to pause because I do know we have another part two coming up where we dig into more details on all things Web3 and Metaverse related. But Sergio, Mike, in the meantime, thank you so much for joining us today. Super, super insightful. I've learned a lot. My head is still spinning a little bit, but excited for our part two. Awesome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks. This brings us to the end of this episode of Digital Marketing Musings. If you have an idea for an episode for our 2022 season, we would love to hear it. Just drop us a note at digitalmarketingmusings at merklink.com. And of course, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and rate and review us. It helps others find our show. And of course, please be sure to tell a friend. This episode was produced by Merkle with sound and video editing by Craig Zutgerski. Our team includes copywriting by Melissa Riley, graphic design by Garrett Rubel, website support by Ted Lonzak, and social media and promotion by Gina Astrop and Andrea Ratner. Tune in over the next month as we continue our gaming series with episodes on gaming creative, NFTs, gaming for good, and many other topics. And until next time, I'm Andrea McCartney. And I'm Gaia Reed. Bye.